For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a look at plans to change the landscape of Arizona's national parks. I'll talk with Chris Isaac about living his dreams and keeping his boots on the ground. And on Dimelo, what's it like to do your time in prison and get out, but still have to rebuild your life? Those stories are coming up on Arizona Spotlight. Our state is famous for natural wonders, such as the Grand Canyon, Sedona, and the Petrified Forest. Now a group of residents is raising awareness about another natural wonder that they say could give this region an economic boost. They're working to designate the newest national park in the United States in Cochise County, about a two-hour drive southeast of Tucson. Tony Paniagua has the story. Bob Gent and his wife moved to Sierra Vista, Arizona after both retired from the military. Throughout their careers, they had lived in divergent places such as Washington, D.C., Omaha, Nebraska, and Germany, and they were seeking a combination of qualities for their new home. Clear skies, clean air, nice weather, and the great outdoors. Bob Jen says Southeast Arizona fits the bill. I have plenty of time to do my hobbies, which is hiking, astronomy. You know, I, I like to look for the birds in our mountains. They're just spectacular birding area down here. Jen says one of those scenic outdoor areas is Chiricahua National Monument, about 80 miles northeast of Sierra Vista. It was established in 1924 to protect the towering rock formations. They were called Standing Up Rocks by the Chiricahua Apache. Chiricahua is just such a unique geologic wonderland. It's a geologic wonder of the world. Gent hopes the monument of nearly 12,000 acres receives a new designation from the federal government. It really deserves national park status. In addition to his volunteer work in the campaign for Chiricahua National Park, Gent is also a member of the Tourism Commission for the City of Sierra Vista. He says a national park in Cochise County would provide some welcome economic benefits to the area. We're looking for ways to, to boost the economy, to promote tourism, to get visitors to southern Arizona. And it would be great for southeastern southern Arizona and also southwestern New Mexico. It may sound like a simple matter of semantics to some people, national park, national monument, but a park does seem to carry more weight. There is greater visitation at national parks. They stand out more. It does have a higher status. Kevin Dahl is the Arizona Senior Program Manager for the National Parks Conservation Association, a private nonprofit group that advocates for the national park system. Dahl says the National Park Service has more than 400 designated units, battlefields, historic sites, monuments, seashores, and others, but only 59 are national parks. If approved, Chiricahua would be number 60. It's a little off the beaten path. It's not on an interstate. Um, it's truly spectacular and fabulous. It's a great place to camp. It's a great place to hike. It truly deserves park status. But that requires an act of Congress, literally, and it looks like an uphill battle for Chiricahua, given the current political climate and congressional elections in November. Bob Jen says there is plenty of support from chambers of commerce, cities, and counties. Benson, Arizona, Sierra Vista, Arizona, the Cochise County Tourism Council, 
um, the city of Tucson, Deming, New Mexico. But that pivotal next step, congressional action, hasn't happened yet. We think this is a common sense thing to do. It's good for the country. It's good for Democrats, Republicans, independents. Everybody benefits from this. We just need need to get off dead center and do it. There is precedent for these designations. Many famous national parks, including Grand Canyon and Saguaro, used to be monuments. Jen says the change for Chiricahua should be simple since supporters are not seeking to expand boundaries or implement new land use policies. His group had hoped the vote in Congress would occur this year, during the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service, but it looks like the earliest possible approval will be in 2017. Jen says he'll keep trying. He's retired and up for the challenge. So I'm just going to take this on as a project that would benefit Southern Arizona, and I'm going to work on it until we get it done. It may be that there, there are some senators or representatives who don't like it, I think I can outlast them. I think I can keep this project going until it finally happens. If it's eventually approved, Chiricahua National Park would join three others in Arizona, Grand Canyon, Petrified Forest, and Saguaro, which received its designation in 1994. California has nine national parks, the most in the country, followed by eight in Alaska and five in Utah. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Tony Paniagua. The campaign for Chiricahua National Park says U.S. Senator Jeff Flake and Congresswoman Martha McSally, who represents that district, have expressed support for the concept, while Senator John McCain has not. In a letter from 2015, Senator McCain's office cites concerns about border security and billions of dollars in deferred maintenance they say have not been addressed by the National Park Service. We have a copy of that letter and official statements from elected officials on our Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Since he emerged on the national music scene in the mid-80s, Chris Isaac has enjoyed the kind of success and longevity that's eluded many artists from that decade. Perhaps it's due to the fact that Isaac has always seemed a little out of sync with time, extolling a sense of style and romance that has agelessly crossed the decades. Now equally recognized for his acting career and his dry sense of humor, Chris Isaac still calls Stockton, California his home, where he lives close enough to his mom to regularly take out her trash and do her home maintenance for her. Isaac and his band Silvertone will play the Fox Tucson Theater on Wednesday, July 27th. I talked with him about writing songs for his latest album, First Comes the Night. You know, if you get too many songs, they pile up. You can't get walk through your house. People always say, are you writing a new album? You, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. It's like, <laughs> that's, how, that's how it is. Like, the album's finished, here comes the new album. You never stop writing. I've, I've been writing songs since I was, and this sounds really weird, but probably about 12. Well, how do you keep up with your ideas? What's, what's your method? I usually uh, take a tape recorder and put down little pieces of songs. I'm talking to you now, and I've got one... Let's see, two, there's three, four, five guitars within about five feet of me. <laughs> and I, that's in my bedroom. And I go down, there's a music room, and I've got another, you know, 20 guitars and a piano and an organ in there. And it's like, I got guitars all over my house. People always say, you know, oh, I can't find the channel changer. I go, I don't, I'm not looking for it. <laughs> it's probably in a guitar. You know? That's how you write songs. It's like I went fishing yesterday with my brother because um, 
grabbing, and we always play guitar when we get together and sing. We always say the same thing. You don't write songs if you don't have a guitar in your hand. You don't catch fish if you don't put a line in the water, you know? I noticed from um, checking out a few of your interviews that something that, that you talk about is frugality. That yeah. <laughs> you like to be frugal. You know, I don't like the idea of being a burden on society. I don't like the idea that that damn Chris Isaac, all he ever did is pick a guitar and he never saved a penny. Now he's sick and we got to pay for him. Not me. And hopefully not for my family. So, And growing up, we grew up really broke. And if you grow up broke, you go, uh, okay, I, I tried that. I, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I told somebody, I said, I remember eating, you know, our diet one week was string beans and pancakes. <laughs> and and they said, well, what do you mean? I, I, they go, that doesn't sound appealing, but it doesn't sound horrible. I said, no, it wasn't bad, but it was just odd. And we had string beans and pancakes for like a week, and it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Man, we ate them. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and you start to realize at some point you go like, oh, we must be broke. It does kind of lose its luster after a while. You know, yeah. so so probably in my life, like I, I'm one of the people that, you know, people go, oh, did you like buy a jet plane, marry a supermodel, you know, go through a fortune on cocaine? And I was like, I wouldn't do drugs, no way, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to blow my money on that stuff. I know, I'm I'm a little more cautious. Although I like to think I pick my shots. I mean, there's, you know. Sometimes my friends and family can be surprised that once in a while I can, um, the wallet will open sometimes, <laughs> you know, but I try to, no, you know, cause like you, if you pick your shots, if you save your money and don't blow it, then when you really have people come up, have an emergency or something, you can be a help. You know what I mean? In your conversation with Tavis Smiley, you talked about the choice to go record in Nashville. Yeah. And that sounds like one of those times when you picked your shot there. I heard Stevie Nicks is a friend and Stevie she had an album called, I think, 24 Karat Gold, and it really sounded good. And I said, where'd you record that? She said, Nashville. And I thought, well, I'm not going to Nashville. It's, I got microphones in California, and I won't have to drive to Nashville. And, and then I listened to it, and it was like, and she said, and it was really good, and the, they worked really, you know, it was, you know, the cost was the same or less, and but the musicians were good, and the producers are good, and the rooms are good. And I said, all right, I'm going to try. And I got to Nashville, and I was thinking, what have I done? I signed up to come out here in Nashville recording. I don't know about this. And I'd been to Nashville a lot, but never recorded there. And the uh, first day I'm there, they had a free breakfast at the hotel. And you know me. <laughs> but I said, I'm not missing that free breakfast no matter what. And I got up and went down, and the other guy at free breakfast that morning, a little room, Hey, Chris, it's Robert Plant. He was really, couldn't have been a friendlier guy. What a cool guy. And invited me to dinner, and we hung out at dinner, and um, and I just was, he was fascinating. He really knows, he knows so much about music. You know, I think I know a lot of old songs and stuff, and he knows tons, tons. <laughs> and so to sit with him and talk about, like, Lead Belly or early rock and roll or rhythm and blues and stuff, and he he just you can tell that's his passion. It's mine too. We're like a couple of geeks at a Star Wars convention. You know what I mean? I do. One guy going, Yeah, but episode three, the Klingons, you're right. <laughs> no one remembers that. You know, like and you go, 
I I know we're a couple of musical nerds, but like, I'm and at the end of that night, we we walked back to the hotel and we're talking still, and said good night. And I got on the elevator and I thought, you know, Robert Plant is better looking than I am, and he's a better singer, and he's he's a legend, and I'm not. But we're both recording in Nashville, so I'm doing something right. And he appreciates a free breakfast. It sounds like he does. Chris, where do you think you learned to be cool? <laughs> I wish I wish I was cool. I don't think I am. I'm probably the least cool guy in the room, but um, it's funny because I've got to do a lot of stuff in my life, and I, I sure got lucky in picking the right job. The first jobs I had, I worked at a, a port in my hometown, and I was unloading ships, and then I did roofing. Man, I could still go around my hometown stocked, and I can look at roofs and go, I did that roof, and I did this roof over there, and my dad and I did roofing on some stuff. And I'll look at those different things that I did, and I'll think, that was hard work. Summertime, up on a roof in the heat. One time I was on a ship, and we were unloading sugar sacks, and at the bottom of a ship there's water, always a little water, and there's all this, you know, bags of sugar, and there were bees. And, and at the bottom of the ship, it was like 105 degrees. You're sweating. Your body gets covered with sweat. And the sugars, as they lift it up out in these sacks on the pallets, the sugar drifts down on you all day, and you get covered in syrup. Like your sweat turns into sugar. And then the bees come. And they don't bite you, but the bees crawl on you while you're working. And if it's rice, it ain't bees, it's rats. <laughs> Everything I did taught me that later on when I got a job in a band, I was like going, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love what I do. I love your roles, your acting roles. I remember when I saw you in Married to the Mob, and I was yeah. like, wow, that's Chris Isaac. Like, how cool, <laughs> you know? And since then, you've turned up in so many cool places. I recently just saw Dirty Shame for the first time. Uh, I'm a big John Waters fan, but it took me a long time to see it. John and I are friends. He, he lives, he's got a place in San Francisco and in Baltimore. And he and I could not be farther apart in some ways. Like, you'd look at, you know, hear our politics or discuss certain things, but I love the guy. He's such a good guy. He's nice to everybody, and he's one of the smartest, funniest guys. If you could just sit down and have dinner with John Waters, you will be entertained and educated. He's smarter than you are. (laughs) (laughs) I like hearing that. Um, Was that one of the more fun movie sets for you to be on? It was fun working with John. Um, He's hilarious as as a director and he and the people that he has in his films he doesn't use all just actors like you know john on his set he said yeah you know you're in a scene and there's these guys who are bears and i go what do you mean bears bear costumes he goes no like that's a term for like a these guys who are like big hairy guys who are homosexuals like other big hairy guys and i go well i didn't know about this john but okay (laughs) and then we go to do the scene, and I thought, well, these are actors. And I go, so you guys are like actors? And they go, no, we're bears. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a wonderful dope in that movie. That came across. Uh, easy so, acting. A lot of uh, bogus information gets uh, turns up on people's Wikipedia pages and Internet Movie Database. Oh, the and best that. one I've heard was um, somebody wanted a picture of me without my wig. <laughs> they said, because we know Chris is bald. My brother was laughing. He goes, "You're so you're bald," and I go, "You know, like no, I got a full head of hair, but it's on the in the internet. Somebody's going. We know he wears a wig." And the other one, which my brother loves telling me about, he goes, "Some woman wrote 
that um, I met Chris Isaac and I was talking to him out in the audience and I was wearing high heels and I towered over him and you know he has to be no taller than five six <laughs> like I'm six foot one but people write this stuff you know yeah yeah well on your your internet movie database page the first credit listed for you is a Japanese science fiction movie called Message from Space yep I'm in it I love that movie I said, I, you know, I was, uh, I was born in 69. I was uh, right at the right age when that movie came out. Terrific Star Wars um, did inspired Did you actually film. see that movie? In the theater, yes. I did. Oh I was a kid. Oh, my God. You're, you're the only one I've ever talked to who's actually saw that movie. And I, re- I remember making that movie, Message from Space, and I can tell you a story about it. Vic Morrow was in it. Absolutely. And, you know, and I was a kid. I grew up at the time when Vic Morrow was a big star on combat on TV. I remember. Dun, 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 dun. That was the combat theme song. And he came, and I'm, here I am in Japan. I was over in Japan boxing as a light heavyweight. And, <laughs> and, and somebody, said, somebody said, hey, they need white guys, because at that time there weren't any white guys, you know, really in Tokyo or anything. And they said, you can get work at the film studio that, you know, they'll hire you. And I went, and they said, Vic Morrow's coming in. And, and they said, you know, you should talk to him because you speak English. And I got to hang out and talk with Vic Morrow. And I was like thrilled. And he was likable and nice, but he also had that kind of surly look on his face all the time. Yes. And I remember it was his birthday at one point, and we we had a cake for him and stuff, and people saying happy birthday. And he goes, "How much are they paying you guys to do this?" <laughs> and I and I looked at him. I go, "Vic, we love you. We do this for free." And he had a, all of a sudden he had a big smile on his face, you know. Chris, when you think about the 1980s, what do you miss? Well, it's fun when you start off because nobody's watching. Like, you can make a song, try things. I mean, I get on stage and do stupid stuff that, you know, screwed up and stuff. But nobody really holds you accountable or cares because there's only 20 people there. And the only way you can kind of keep having that kind of fun is just have the attitude that, um, you know, you still get to have that freedom and just say, it doesn't matter. Nobody's watching, and you know, like the, the the albums I've been doing lately. I mean, I went, I did an album in Sun Studios in Memphis, and I, we played everything kind of live and just did like we felt and played the songs that I really love singing. And then we did, you know, when we recorded in Nashville, I worked with uh, Dave Cobb and Paul Worley, like two of the best producers, and I would be running back and forth singing in one studio and go get jumping a borrow a truck from Dave Cobb and drive to the other studio and be singing in that studio and I go and once again it was just doing like I just having fun and doing what I want and I don't really you know try not to try not to worry about what what anybody else thinks about it just have fun and I think that that comes naturally in the beginning because nobody watches and later on you have to remind yourself don't take it too seriously have fun with it Chris Isaac and Silvertone bring the First Comes the Night tour to the Fox Tucson Theater next Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. What does it take to re-enter society after a stint in prison? Everyone's story is different, but next Dimelo brings us one man's journey to restart his life and his thoughts on the patience and endurance that it requires. I'm in a very delicate spot, like, but if I sit here and I play the victim and I cry and pout and I'm like, oh, I let weeks on weeks pass me by, then I will get nothing done and everything's going to crumble. 
right on top, and it's just going to cave right in. Jesus Robles Jr. is in the middle of trying to reinvent himself. When he got out of jail three years ago, he was ready to restart his life. He borrowed $16,000 to study massage therapy, and he got his certification last year. But it wasn't going to be that easy for someone with a felony for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Five years ago, he made a mistake. He walked in on his girlfriend cheating on him, and he got angry. In the ensuing fight, he ended up giving the guy she was with 30 stitches to his face and cut off his ring finger. Then, Jesus fled, and he evaded the police for a week. He still remembers the feeling when he decided to turn himself in, and he knew his life was about to change. I literally, I was at the Ronstadt. I watched the sun rise, and I watched it set, and I watched it rise again. I didn't know which direction. I didn't know to go south, north, east, west. There's nowhere I could go, you know what I mean? Like, there's this big entity looking for you, you know? <laughs> it's just... It's kind of scary. He was charged with attempted murder and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. He took a plea bargain and served two years in prison for the aggravated assault charge. It was his first time in prison. It was pretty intimidating. And that's when you get heart checked in there and everything is so racially segregated. It's it's disheartening, you know. It's, It's like, okay, I gotta choose my race you're like chicanos and paisas you're like i thought they were the same thing we're all mexican right like no they're they're born on that side of the border we're born on this side so you run with chicanos okay i didn't have any money on me you know i didn't have nothing you know so i just took to my art you know i got my indigen like my five indigen envelopes you know and i just drew uh religious stuff on there Jesus grew up a hip-hop kid. He hung out at Scrappy's downtown as a teenager, learning breakdancing and graffiti. Other prisoners loved his drawings. They started requesting things from him. So I would do, it started off with letters, letter work, graffiti, and then it, it shifted to greeting cards. I would just be in my cell at the time, even when the doors would pop for day room, I was busy, like, um, to, like envelopes to dress up for birthdays and just special occasions. Like, the physical part's easy. Yeah, you can, I can go through the motions all day, you know what I mean? Pop the doors, get your breakfast, come back, go to your program, sit there. You know, that part was easy. That was expected. It's, it's the mental part, you know? Like, you, you're you stuck kind of in that day that, you know, that the day that caught you that case. You're kind of stuck in that for however long you're in prison. Like So every day from then on is just like trying to forget that day, but it comes back to haunt you every day that you're in there. It was hard watching the world go by in prison, especially because Jesus had a one-year-old daughter at the time who was growing up on the outside. So Jesus made plans to go back to school to rebuild his life. But he didn't know yet it would also be hard on the outside. I'm just going to mold my future. When I get out, I'm going to manifest it. And I'm just going to hit the ground running and no one's going to stop me. So how many years has it been that since the day you got out? It's been three years now. That's what this tattoo represents. This is my daughter when she, the first thing I did was get her hand and put it in red ink. Jesus started washing dishes in restaurants on Congress because he couldn't find better work with his record. And that's when he also started studying massage. I was working on Congress, so I'd Go to school at 8 in the morning, get on the 8 o'clock to get to school at 9. Jet back over here, get out of school at 3.30. 
change at the studio and then go to work at 4, 4.30 or 5, depending on what they had me, and then close until 2, 2, 3 in the morning, and then sleep for a couple hours and do it all over again. He tried to apply to a collections agency because he had experience doing that work. At first, they seemed interested. Yeah, weekend of training, uh, HR calls me into the office. They're like, hey, uh, you're background check came back and we decided to let you go and that really broke me like inside I, this kind of broke my morale every time they, they run my background they have they pull up the five charges which is starting with attempted murder and then they, it has aggravated assault deadly weapon two years served and it just confuses me like why do you have to pull up all this you know it just throws so much dirt on my name when he got his massage certification last year, he thought things would get better. He applied to several massage studios, but no luck. Like two weeks ago, I, uh, Rubs kindly <laughs> let me down. I, I got an interview with them. I did a practical, and you know, I gave her a massage, and, and it went well. She said, you know, she gave me great criticism, and she liked it. She liked my flow. She liked my routine, and she's just like, oh yeah, we'll give you that call back. <laughs> and, I never get the call back, which is killing me. Reentry is often difficult for convicted felons, and it's maybe extra hard for Jesus with his assault charge, as he tries to enter a profession where he must convince clients to put their bodies in his hands. Like before, I just freak out and I'd be like, ah, I'm real, real verbal and expressive. But now I really, now I just sit back, breathe a little, and punch out my rage, come dance out my rage, and just let that energy go, just woosah. <laughs> now he's trying to build his clients on his own. He's willing to wait and see if his luck changes. For Demon Los Stories, I'm Sofia Palisakar. This Sunday, Demelo invites you to join a celebration in honor of one year of listening and sharing everyday stories. The fiesta is at La Cocina at 201 North Court Avenue downtown with music by Mariachi Aslan de Pueblo High School and DJ Herm. The event is free with tacos at 5 and live storytelling beginning at 6. You can find more information at dimelostories.org. Dimelo is part of a national initiative called Finding America, presented in collaboration with AIR, the Association for Independence and Radio, supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The music was performed by Siksa. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. The show originates from the AZPM radio studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood, with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.